This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And Socceroos coach Graham Arnold says he has massive concerns for the future of the sport in Australia. He's outlined his worries about the lack of junior development in Australia. We need more kids given an opportunity in Australia and uh, there's, for me there's massive concerns uh, for the future moving forward unless it's fixed. So if your child plays soccer or wants to play soccer, then you would be well aware of the high fees associated. So does that stop you or your child from participating? But does all junior sport actually need an overhaul and be made more affordable and more accessible? As always on a Friday, Warwick Long joining you from ABC Shepparton was... Kids sport, is it too expensive and just out of reach for a lot of family now, families now, especially with the rising cost of living? It, it certainly makes you wonder at the moment, thinking of our own experiences and where we're going. Firstly, what a level-headed response from Graham Arnold, the head of the coach of the Socceroos. So the pinnacle of the elite section yep. of the sport in, in the country at the moment, worried about the grassroots and the costs of the grassroots at the moment. And many sports would be in similar situations. I don't think soccer is alone in all of this. I was thinking through when I was a kid, Rochelle, I think I played six sports at an organised level, probably more when you think of through schools and so forth there. I would shudder to think what that would cost me if my child was doing the same right now and what the costs associated would be in the weekend travel and even not only just the fees and insurance and all of that, which I'd imagine we're going to talk about today, but the travel in regional areas and the the cost of just getting there and the time involved. And that's through the roof at the moment. And Mm. sometimes, depending on where you live, the team that you play, whether it be basketball, footy, soccer, you name it, it might be an hour-long drive just one way and then if you're and then what you've got practice on top of it as well we haven't even mentioned uniforms it is so expensive and if you've got a couple of kids I think there would be lots of sports where families are saying nope pick one or we can't do any or if there's multiple children in the family you might be saying everyone needs to pick the same sport so that we can just focus on one area, one drive, once a week, there would be lots of changing, I think, going up in families at the moment, which is a shame. You know, sport should be made accessible to whoever wants to play. And heaven forbid you're good enough to be good at a sport but not great enough to be elite. I know people in in Shepparton who coach basketball teams and They'll be heading to Wodonga one weekend for a tournament, then off to Geelong, then Mildura, and the travel around the state is just incredible. And if you're really good at football and you end up playing for one of the elite under-18 teams, parents are driving you know, from to Langata to, to Wangaratta so the kid can train, let alone going to Melbourne on the weekend to, to play the game as well. It's, it's a big effort and a big cost involved. And I wonder if... We're playing fewer sports now. Yep. You don't get that breadth of, oh, I'll give basketball a go. Oh, I might have a hit at golf or let's sign up for the cricket team or tennis or swimming, any of those things because of the cost involved, because you're signing up to a commitment that's in some cases probably in excess of $1,000. This text already, so who should pay? And another saying, what about insurance? There's so many things that parents are unable to afford at the moment. Therefore, kids are missing out and not able to participate. And what are those other elements of life associated with sport? If you don't participate, if you're not able to participate in sport, what else are you missing out on? So is kids sport too expensive? And how do we make sure that any child who wants to play sport can? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Warwick Long with you in Shepparton. That text is interesting was that says then, so who should pay? If we were to make sport really affordable or let's go as far as saying free, who pays and what needs to be paid for? When I mean, when you look at all of the admin, associated, change rooms, upkeep of grounds, whatever, I guess we can't make it free, unfortunately. And the insurance is a huge cost. That rightly pointed out by, by that text message as well. The, the idea that insurance is going to be, a, a, you know, a huge killer in stopping people from signing up 
for sporting uh, programs as well. And that's one of the difficulties, right, that, that rises out of people getting injured and needing help and, and wanting assistance and so forth and trying to make things like sport more accessible to all. So we're in this situation. What do you do about it? And is it going to stop finding the next Socceroos player that can drive us over the top or the next person who can be great in the Australian Olympic basketball team or anything else? Patrick Walker is the CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation. Patrick, a warm welcome to you. The Sports Foundation has just finished a survey and has found the biggest decline in participation of sport was children and children aged 11 to 18. How much of that was due to cost? Yeah, good, good day, guys. Great to speak with you this morning. Yeah, that, uh, that survey we carried out, we, we researched uh, from up to uh, around 1,000 uh, community clubs all over Australia. And you're right, that was the most affected demographic, teens sort of 11 to 18. And 50% of those uh, said that that was financial reasons was behind that. There were other reasons as well, getting out of the habit of sport and so on during lockdowns. But 50% pointed to financial reasons. Financial reasons, and does that, yeah, does that affect um, what sports people are playing? Are they moving towards whatever's cheapest? There's not really uh, any evidence of that, and I heard the conversation when you when you set this chat up. And uh, look, the average costs uh, research has gone into this as well. The average cost per child to play sport is about nine hundred and seventy dollars a year per and sport. That's your registration, yeah, per sport. And so your question, uh, Warwick, if you played six sports now, that's about $9,000 a year. It's simply going to be unaffordable uh, for most people. But even that figure excludes, um, you know, uh, travel and so on. And you talked about regional and rural Australia. That can add another four or $500 per child per year. So it's really astronomical for, for many families. There's text here saying, uh, referring to how many sports we play and saying, when I was young, I tried all different sort of sports. My dad now would probably need a second job. Lucky then it was cheap as chips. It's good fun though, says Jason in North Melbourne. And I was thinking back to it as well, Patrick, that I didn't play a lot of different sports at the same time, but I certainly played sport all year round, at least two simultaneously. And my family were well and truly uh, not that well off and we were able to afford it. And I can't think of any kid, and I grew up in a fairly low socioeconomic area, I can't think of any kid that didn't play sport. Has it got more expensive? Oh, it's definitely got more expensive. Uh, and, you know, we, we've also looked at research, which our colleagues at the Australian Sports Commission have done. And it's quite a big distinction between kids from high-income families and low-income families at the moment. So 84% of kids from high-income families play, uh, play sport regularly, and only 58% of kids from low-income families. So there's already a big gap based on your socioeconomic circumstances. And that's, that's only going to get worse with the current cost of living pressures. So what are we missing out on then uh, with, the, with the system as it is and sport only getting more expensive? What's being lost to Australia by people being excluded? Look, a huge amount of social value. So I'll, I'll talk about a couple of things there because we've talked about trying different sports. There's also a lot of evidence that uh, to keep kids interested and engaged in sport longer through their life, letting them play a variety of sports is the way to go rather than specializing on just one or two. So that's a key thing. We need to give them the, this breadth of experience. But what we're really missing out on, I heard the reference earlier to the obesity crisis, and we, we, you know, we know we're, we're 30% of, of, of our kids are uh, obese or overweight, and it's, it's rising all the time. But sport does so much more than that. It's about improving mental health and we know the challenges to mental health that the last uh, couple of years have shown for our kids it's about you know making new friendship groups meeting people from other other walks of life building resilience teaching leadership sport is about so much more than what happens on the pitch it's really about this social value and that is the cost that's facing the nation if this trend continues it's interesting there's a text here that says this is such an important topic when we not only have a pandemic that we're coming off but also as you just mentioned patrick obesity and mental health issues we need more sport. My kids are in a basic swim competition in Ballarat. Every event that they enter uh, with two kids costs 120 bucks. Insurance liability will only allow the rich kids to participate and it's wrong. Graham Walker is with you. He's the CEO of the Australian Sport Foundation. Elise has called in from Camperdown. Hi, how are you going? 
Hello, hello. This is um, a, a very important topic and um, it's something we've been looking at for a long time. We've been working uh, for about 10 years developing the platform um, and it's called A Helping Hand, but we're actually really looking at um, pushing it towards for help. Um, the biggest thing when we looked at children um, being, being able to change lives, make a positive impact on kids and families, it was that sense of belonging to their community. And um, excuse my voice, I've got I've got a cold, of course. I'm COVID negative at the moment, <laughs> but um, this is why I'm sitting here listening to this. But um, yeah, no, it's it's so important. Now, when we spoke with a lot of the community agencies and charities, their biggest thing was that all these kids could not afford to participate. Um, they couldn't they couldn't be involved in their community. They couldn't um, learn. They couldn't have access to role models because they couldn't afford to play sports. Now. We were looking at cricket, it was $99 for a kid to play Cricket Blast. It was $85 for a kid to play Auskick. Mm. It's $99 to enroll my kid in basketball. Now, so many children can't do it. Um, we put a program together just prior to, um, to COVID happening and it was all around um, looking at what are the barriers to participation um, and they were obviously the cost, travel and that sense of belonging and feeling confident. Yeah. So we oh. looked to address those issues. Um, it was amazing. We had 60 kids involved. Cricket Australia sponsored it um, and it really did look at oh, um, good on o- you. overcoming those issues. That's great. And there's other hmm. organisations around as well, Elise, and we'll speak to a few of them today where hopefully we can help people find those little areas where it means that everyone can participate. And that being able, being stuck and excluded because of funding and so oh, and no. issues there, like how much are you missing out on? Like it's such a even with my kids playing some sport now, it's great for me to go and chat to other parents and be on the sideline at events like that. And you feel like how much are we we cutting people oh, out 100%. from society? I've got a little that? bit of a raspy voice today because I was at my daughter's last game of <laughs> basketball last night. They haven't won a game all season. They still didn't win last night. You're the loud parent on the sideline, aren't you? Mate, you're the, the, you're you're, you're screaming and barracking. I'm screaming and barracking, but there's quite a few of us and it's so much fun. It is just so much fun. And I don't think my husband and I have missed a game and mm. it's great to just watch and particip- yeah. particip- to participate as a parent as well. There's a text here that says, I'm a single mum and this has been an issue for me forever. It's social inclusion rather than no social inclusion and now financial distress is spreading. So it's actually a talking issue to just another story about inequality is from Sharon. She says, I know I'm a grump, but thank you for listening. You certainly are not. Jackie's called from Vermont South. Uh, Jackie, welcome to the program. What did you want to say? Um, yes, I'd like to say that um, over the years I've had children playing in sport. I know how expensive it is. Um, I'm now secretary of a baseball club in Melbourne, and we joined a, a government-funded program called Get Active Kids. Um, any low income, anyone on a, a concession card, uh, can apply for up to $200 from the government um, to pay for their fees. Does that help, Jackie? Because we just heard it costs like $900 almost per sport for people to take part for, for their kids. So does the $200 uh, yeah. make a difference? Well, it does to us because our fees are only $100. Yeah, it depends <laughs> so, on the sport, um, doesn't it? Yes. Our, our, so if anyone applies for baseball, you're pretty much covered 100%. But it's up to $200 towards. So if you play soccer, that's $900. Uh, the government will fund you um, the $200 towards your fees. That's true, isn't it, Patrick, that there are grants available, $200 per child per year. Do you think people know about that? Enough people know about them, I, I think. Most of the states have got uh, some similar kind of schemes, but I think Victoria's ahead of the game there with $200 per child. Uh, most states, it's $100 per child. And it certainly helps, but as we've said, there's a, still a big gap between that and what the overall cost is to get your kid into sport. And just on that, Patrick, have you done much work to decide or look at what sports are the most expensive? We haven't done that ourselves, but but again, the Australian Sports Commission has, and it's looked at through its Ausplay survey, uh, survey which uh, which carry, it carries out once a year. And look, there is a big big discrepancy. And you mentioned that soccer, uh, football, is one of the more expensive sports. Uh, Australian football AFL is is less expensive, so there is a range, uh, but they average out around that nine hundred and seventy dollars a year all in. 
And just finally, Patrick, are we right in understanding that you've just returned from the World Cup? Have you just been in Qatar? Yes, if I'm a little bit croaky, it's because I was out there in Qatar uh, cheering the Socceroos on to uh, to a couple oh. of great wins. So, so was, did you... Uh, why are you home? Why are you still not there? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I could only take so much time off work. Somebody's got to be here minding the shop, so... Uh, oh, so it wasn't lack of <laughs> no, confidence in the Socceroos, Patrick? No, it wasn't. It was all I could uh, all I could take out. But listen, I'm very uh, very frustrated. I'm not still out there. Would love to be at the Argentina game. That would be a, that'll be a cracker. That must have been incredible because there weren't many Australians there, Patrick. So the fact that you were one of them that will be something that you'll have with you forever incredible atmosphere incredible bond between the Socceroos fans it was and with the players as well it was it was a really a fantastic lifetime experience well Patrick thank you very much for joining us on the program today and at least talking about the difficulties and the costs involved in sport particularly the youth level right now thanks for joining us all right guys great to speak with you CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation speaking to you there. Let's head to David, who's in Preston on 1300 777 Hi, David. How are you going? Yeah, good. You want to talk about soccer? Yeah, just had a comment. Um, I'm a coach at a local club, and we've got over 500 girls that play, and our fees are sub $300. Um, a lot of the soccer fees are driven by uh, what's called the MPL, National Premier League, and there's plenty of under 16 year old kids paying two and a half to three thousand dollars a season, and that wow. fees largely yeah it's largely just driven by the cost of paying senior players and yep. coaching staff. And yeah. that's so, something that's really controversial for a lot of people and has been for some time. But it's not all clubs, so it's obviously not like it like that at your club, David. No, not at all. And in fact, there's, um, you know, if uh, someone is struggling to pay fees, we're of a size now that that can be looked into by uh, people from the club and helped out in various ways. Yeah, so I'd just like to say that there is access to soccer, girls and boys at a community level, and it is not an expensive sport. Three, 300 bucks is still a bit though, isn't it, David? Um, that includes a uniform um, and paying referees uh, at a certain age. It's not bad. Um, I don't know if you've ever had children that swim or go to gymnastics. That can quite often reach into yeah. the thousands. Yeah, I know. Gymnastics is coming through on the text line saying you should try gymnastics. It's absolutely through the roof. And we haven't talked about dancing and dance lessons where you have recitals and um, costumes for that and photos that are set and a certain amount of parents have to book in for, for seats at places as well, yeah. for concerts and so forth. So it, it's almost the cost of being active in, in any sort of organised yeah. activity rather than just sport, but it can be very expensive. As I know Penny and Torquay says the same thing. My daughter did many sports. It cost us plenty. It's not just the membership and the competition. It's the competition entries. Uh, it's the equipment as well. Steve Horvat is a former Socceroo and he's the director of Football Western United Footy Club. Steve, just listening to David from Preston there, it's not all clubs that are costing sort of in the thousands to play soccer locally. But as we've seen from the current coach of the Socceroos, he really wants a shake-up to make sure that all kids get the opportunity to play soccer. Is this something that you would agree with? Yeah, no doubt about it. I think the bugbear I really have with the fees around our sport in particular is when players begin to their journey at that elite level. I know the caller just before talked about his club, which is a community club, but then you have the NPL clubs where these fees really start to, I think, stifle the talent coming through. And, you know, as probably uh, a lot of people have been talking about the last two days, how our Socceroos brings the nation together at, at a World Cup and the incredible results that we've been having. But I believe that there's there's still room for growth and still room for improvement if we're able to reduce these fees at an elite level. And you know, there's many factors that go into that, um, but it, it's got to be around funding of the sport. And, and that's the interest. You, West United, obviously, sort of A League, and and uh, like, and you've been at the pinnacle level with the with the Socceroos as well. How do you make sure that if some kid is coming through and looks like they could be a future soccer who is is supported and doesn't leave for a sport where it's going to cost them less to play 
Yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, the clubs need to make these decisions. And, and the, the caller before said that in special circumstances, if, you know, uh, families can't afford the fees, um, then they, they should be either sponsored or, or awarded a scholarship. Because, you know, the problem we have in our sport at the elite level, it's become a middle and upper class sport. Whereas yeah. when I was growing up, uh, you know, uh, my junior days throughout the 70s and early 80s, my my parents never paid a cent for me to represent Victoria at national championships. Everything was funded, you know. So, you know, now if you make a state team, it, it's it's a bill for, you know, the, a couple of thousand dollars to go and represent your state at a national title, let alone, you know, the yearly fees that they have to pay. So there's a real issue there at, at the top end of the sport. Mm. And if we don't improve the funding and the model, then we're going to lose um, talented athletes and, and players uh, uh, throughout the system. And is one of the bad things here, I suppose, to Steve, is if you are great, if you are elite, if you are the refugee who comes to Australia, like the Garang Qual story we've got going on right now, I'd imagine funding finds your way to keep the person who looks like they're going to be a superstar, whether it be in a local club or for the country. Funding will find its way to keep that person going. But somebody who's very good, who will help the development of those other people uh, in in a team, uh, but they are sent a bill for thousands of dollars if they want to keep playing and it takes Correct. the participation out of the sport. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and you know, you have, you know, two players who are 12 or 11 or 13 years of age and, and kids develop at different rates and at different times throughout their sporting journey. So a, a kid that's outstanding at 12, 13, at 16 or 17, somebody else might come along and, and overtake them. So you're right. We need to be able to balance and have more players coming through the system that aren't charged. So there's a, there's a greater talent pool and, and greater opportunities for all players. And that's talking about those that have potential, right, to play professionally or semi-professionally. What about just the average normal kid that is never going to be professional but loves playing basketball or soccer or footy or whatever it may be, hockey? They're never going to get that sponsorship. They're never going to get those costs paid for. But their love and enjoyment is just as great. So it's so fraught, Steve, isn't it? Oh, look, there are different pathways, though. Like, um, I think probably some of your callers have talked about community clubs where, you know, the the fees are only a couple hundred dollars per year. And that includes, you know, uh, training gear, playing tops, plus, you know, between three to four contacts in terms of training and games per week, you know, over a 40-week season. So that's a lot of football in our case to afford that amount of money. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's some incredible community clubs doing fantastic work, you know, throughout this country. And um, it's really where the focus needs to be is that elite pathway, you know, where, you know, players can, can graduate and move up from community to NPL and then not have to incur the costs. Are you confident that that's going to be done quick enough, Steve, so that we'll have the next batch? I don't know, that's probably not the correct terminology, but the next batch of Socceroos that are ready to go? Yeah, look, it, it has to, you know. Uh, if you, I mean, the key is as well of uh, getting government on board. We are, you know, we're the most participated sport in this country. We're growing at enormous rates, you know. From 2020 to 2021, it, it moved from 1.2 to nearly 1.5 million participants in this country. So um, we need to be able to get a slice of the funding so that that money can trickle down to grassroots so that kids, you know, have an opportunity to play at the highest level. So that's, it's really important. And I know Football Australia are doing a lot of work with the government, but I think the government really needs to get on board with this sport because as you see, um, you know, over the last 48 hours, what this game brings to this country globally, uh, there's nothing like it. And as someone who has played for the Socceroos at a time when it would have been more maligned in the Australian media landscape than now, what does it mean to you to see the scenes from Melbourne and to see the celebration for a team going so far in the tournament at the moment? Uh, just incredible. You know, obviously, it's such an unheralded group of group of players, but I, I know the camaraderie and the culture that that Socceroos group has, and they die for the shirt. They, they put everything in every time they step on the park. So you see how determined they are. They're not overawed. You know, a lot of these players, even though they're not playing at the highest level, have played 
at high levels. Um, you know, I, I think they're really going to give uh, Argentina a run for their money uh, on Sunday morning. I'm really excited for that game. That's going to be, I know there will be a lot of lights on very early Sunday morning. <laughs> Steve, thanks so sure much will. for your time. No problem at all, thanks. Steve Horvat there, former Socceroo and also the Director of Football Western United Footy Club. Let's have a chat with Matt, who's in Strathfield. Hi, Matt. Yeah, how are you going? Good. What do you want to say? Um, just in regards to um, participation rates and all that sort of stuff, um, would it be good if um, maybe the government could change um, junior clubs or junior sport so businesses could make donations um, and their tax tax subsidised? You know, you donate to a charity, um, you can claim that on your tax, so a business could do that, donate that money to their local junior sporting club and then claim it as a donation to a charity. As long as it wasn't used for payments of semi-professional players at that club, yeah, Matt, more about participation than trying to help, you know, the club win a flag, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm talking more along the lines of junior sport, just to pay for their uniforms and, you know, and their registration fees and pay for the referees and that type of things. You know, know, a lot of people are out there struggling these days and they can't afford the money, but if you've got that local business in your local area that's able to do something like that to help their local club out, I think that'd be a good step in the right direction. And when you were growing up, Matt, how many sports did you play? Uh, I played soccer, I played AFL. Um, At school, I played a lot of different sports, so yeah, whether it's volleyball or hockey or all sorts of things. So you had a few. Good on you. Thanks so much. See ya. And... I like this on the text too, Rochelle. People just talking about the costs. The cost for ice hockey per season is huge. That's not even including equipment. Break a stick and it'll cost you $400 a stick. My son broke two in one game, says John, in Eltham. And that's the kind of thing you remember, don't you, when there's such a big cost involved. And this one almost breaks my heart a little bit. $45 to see my six-year-old granddaughter in one dance recital. This nana can't afford it. Yeah, I read message. that one too. Thanks and every family with a ballet dancer is currently paying $900 and that's cheap when you start allowing one or two classes, then discover that your child is actually really good at it and then you have to say, I'm really sorry, you can't keep going. We can't continue paying around $900 a term. That's from Name Withheld. And this, we're so proud of our son when he made the state team, but the cost of travelling to the nationals, that was far out of reach for some families. We had that exact same thing happen in our family where my daughter does aerobics of all random things, made the nationals only to find that comes at the cost to the families. And that's not in your budget. That's not in your family budget and it's not cheap. And then if it's the proudest moment of your child's (laughs) life, uh, you want to be there and watch it and think about the costs involved in travelling because the nationals are never down the road, are they? (laughs) You're travelling to another state. You're travelling, and everybody wants to go, but that's a big hit to a budget. Oh, absolutely. Bridget's in Melbourne. Hi, Bridget. Hi, I'll just take you off speaker. You're very well trained. That's all right, Bridget. What did you want to say? Um, That my son made it into an Australian junior dragon boat racing team to represent Australia at a world game. I know. The proudest moment ever then panic, fear, because I know it's uh, probably about a $10,000 commitment <gasps> in a year. Oh. I know. So, and I'm a single oh. parent, oh. <laughs> neurodiverse family, and it was just like, oh, my goodness. So he has great grandparents who supported him. But the Federation for Australia made it as cheap as possible with a payment plan. You know what I mean? So they really did their best to support the parents oh, because still, all the parents are paying. That's but still, still. Like, so I'm just not I'm not saying anything about the Federation, right? Or or and the Victorian Dragon Boat um, Association, they only ever charged parents um, insurance costs, which is pretty damn nice. You know what I mean for for a junior sport? Yeah, um, but. And, and- but Bridget, Sorry. I just wanted to ask, take me into the mind of a parent that you, you have that proudest moment of your, of your life looking at your son getting to the international level. What then did you have to do in terms of budgeting and planning and all of that stuff uh, in, the, in the background because of the cost involved? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of 18 months, isn't it, leading up to an event because an elite sports person, whether a junior or a senior, it does take time 
to um, get to that uh, certain fitness. So there was camps in Queensland, right, that that they had to go to. There was a couple of them. There was some training days in Sydney. There was obviously seven-day-a-week training in Melbourne. And luckily I live close to where their water sports are. But, you know, you could live an hour and a half away and that's every day, you know, like every day. And if your child, like there might not be, you might live in a part where there's, you know, a train an hour, you know, and the the train trip's two hours to to train. And your kids have got to go to school if they go to school or homeschool, whatever they're doing, they have other things in their life as well. So it's a huge commitment for them and their parents. And is it something, Bridget, that you think you'll be able to do? That you'll be able to either come up with the money or find an alternative or is it something that you think maybe you won't be able to afford? Well, I did it. I did it. He did that. That was in 2019. We were the lucky last people before the... Before the apocalypse, right. <laughs> that's what my kids call it. Okay, you know what I mean. Teenagers, yeah. it was the yeah, apocalypse. Yeah. I lived through the apocalypse. I didn't yeah. even know but dragon I... boat racing was a thing. Like, how it did your is. son even get into this sport? Well, your the sports you're talking about are team sports on ovals, you know, or, or ballet dance is a sport, cheerleading is a sport, and other sports or water sports. Like, there's lots of kids who might be do water skiing. I know there's, like, international competitions in that, surfing. You know, there's hundreds of water sports out there that kids want to do as well, besides, you know, land sports. Mm. So you see them at the festivals in Melbourne, and it's the one, the big boat, like the huge canoe, with the drummer and the dragon's head (laughs) and that type of thing. And how did he go, Bridget? Oh, the team did really well. They got lots of gold. They got a couple of gold medals, but lots of silver and bronze. Because overseas, and I think it's a fair system, that the children who are really talented in a very poor country, they, their families get paid to send them to a better school and they train all day. Whereas our kids live all over Australia, you know, and we have kids coming from every state, which is a great fair thing. You know, for the oh, whole team. I've learned so much. Bridget, congratulations. You sound like such an awesome mum. And I've learned so much from you today. So thanks for calling through and, and sharing your story. Dragon boat racing was at 10000 bucks. Well, by the time you add up all those camps, that is that is a massive, massive commitment, isn't it? And and that's to, to be, as you say, the proudest moment in your life to to see your son achieve at something that he has set out to do as a goal. So, yes, but gosh, the money involved is makes your eyes water. Well, we start off by saying, is kids' sport too expensive? Turns out the answer, I think, might be yes. But how do we ensure that every child who wants to play sport can? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Warwick Long with you in Shepparton, talking about whether or not kids' sport is too expensive. Ken's in Phillip Island. G'day, Ken. G'day. Just hang on. I've just got to pull over. (laughs) All right, mate. Well, you take your time and we'll just pull you down (laughs) and talk amongst ourselves. It's a, yeah, that's that's a sport you don't want to participate in, an illegal one, Ken. So you, you get over and find the right place to go. But yeah, the costs involved is what we're talking about at the moment. But I'd love to hear if anyone has an idea on what system could be better, because obviously the cost of a lot of things has yeah. gone up. But I wonder what we lose unless we find a better system. This one uh, says make the likes of Kyrgios pay a hex fee. And I wonder if those in if that get Australian government support to become... Uh, elite sports people do have a system where they could give back or do fund into a system which could help lower grades of sport and how that could be managed and uh, if they do get enough assistance in the first place to warrant something. I know. Lots of people talking about some of the money made from gambling as well could go back into sport. Hey, Ken, how are you going? Oh, good, thanks. You're good now. All right. What did you want to say? Yeah. You heard what I was... Um, I'm just, uh, I had a daughter in gymnastics for a number of years and the reason that she got interested in gymnastics was she had a fair bit of ability. She ended up trying out for the Sports Institute and she uh, looked at Nadia Comaneci and looked and thought, wow, maybe that could be me one day. Uh, the thing is, she had to train 24 to 32 hours a week. That's thousands of dollars per year we had to put in and as you may or may not know, Nadia Comaneci was totally sponsored by the government. We do not have any gymnasts in Australia 
who doesn't have money. Now, because of gymnastics and the body, because I ran a gymnastics academy for a number of years, the body you are rec- need for gymnastics, you've got to pick someone up early and you've got to give them support. And, of course, no one from some council housing estate is ever going to get into gymnastics. So we are never, ever going to win gold medals at the Olympics. So you think there needs to be more government support? There's quite a few people saying a, a really similar thing. And you mentioned there, Ken, the hours that your daughter had to train. And this text says, has anyone mentioned tennis at an elite level? If your child's any good, they're told they need to train at least 20 hours a week to have a sniff of a hope. Has anyone mentioned this at an elite level? You need to train really hard in order to do it. So those hours on top of school, Warwick Long, that's money as well, you know, whether, especially if there's travel time involved. And when you think about our childhood, Rochelle, and playing every sport that you can, they were the moments of greatest growth in a way. You're finding like-minded people. You're coming together as a, as a team, in my, in my case, but even in individual sports, you're setting goals. You're trying to improve yourself. And even though it was never going to be an elite sports people, that mm. person, that's, the, uh, that's some of the best memories of my life is, is junior sport days and, and trying to win things and still things that you celebrate if you're with 100%. the right friend today. That's it. Phil in Monbolk says... Some great stories around junior sport, but none of them have actually spoken about my patch, which is the cost of a daughter doing pony club. You would know <laughs> this was. Yeah, pony club, very, very expensive, especially on wherever you live as well. I did pony club. Shout out to Kilmore Pony Club down there and our brown jumpers that we used to wear with the uh, with the jodhpurs. There is a sticker and it is a joke of a sticker before people... Uh, do get angry, but one of the, the stickers you used to see on the back of horse flies everywhere was poverty is owning a horse. It is very expensive to feed and look after and uh, and the upkeep of a horse with vet bills and, and so forth that is associated with that as well. And so it becomes a, a sport for those wealthy enough to do it or those who have enough land to keep a horse at home as well. And as cities grow and metropolitan areas get tighter, if you want to do that sport in particularly yeah. in those areas, it's going to be very expensive. Joe in Pearsdale says that exact same thing on text now. Try equestrian sport. It's only for the rich. Were those brown jumpers really itchy? Was, like, really scratchy that you used to have to wear? They always ah. look, make me feel a little bit claustrophobic when I look at them. <laughs> no, they were okay. They, they were quite, yeah, quite nice, were I would they? say. A good, a good brown jumper at the Kilmore Pony Club. <laughs> Sally Matheson is the Education Benella Program Manager at Tomorrow Today. And Sally, some of the incredible work that you guys do at Tomorrow Today is ensuring that nobody gets left behind. And when it comes to sport, you've come up with a really great way to make sure everyone can try a sport that they like and then support either clubs or kids if they want to participate. How does that operate? Thanks, Michelle. So every year we run an activity called Come and Try Day. And the Come and Try Day brings together over 20 local sports and recreation clubs because we know that not all children are sporty and they might like to do something that's outside of school hours and be connected to the community that doesn't involve having to run and really exert themselves. So we also involve groups such as the guides and the scouts, our board gaming groups and yoga clubs. And it's a chance for families and children to come together in the one spot on the one day to try before you buy. And these days are incredibly successful. We have over 200 children coming along to try sports. Um, It's just a fantastic buzzing atmosphere on the day. And then if children decide, right, I'm really into archery or I'd really like to commit to trying out guides, we actually provide funding assistance for families who are on a healthcare card or pension card to enrol their child in that activity. We also provide support to families in the enrolment process because that can often be a barrier for families, mm. being able to access data, um, being able to have the knowledge to get online and actually do the registration. Um, so we provide that assistance to families. And that is an incredible thing to do, Sally, because I was thinking, and I imagine many other households have had the similar rules of you're signing up for this sport, you're signing up for the whole season because we're not paying, <laughs> we're not paying the fees without you doing it. And if you, you don't have a lot of spare money in, in your budget, you're not even going to provide that opportunity, are you? So the ability to come and try is just a great first step. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to try in the one spot on the one day free of charge is just fantastic for our local families.
Have you seen an increase in people needing to reach out to Tomorrow Today for assistance and help? We're finding that more and more families at the moment are actually, just, they just can't afford sport at the moment. Rising cost of living, it's the first thing that's going. Yeah, certainly since COVID, we've actually noticed a drop off in the number of families reaching out for assistance. And our clubs have actually really suffered from the COVID lockdowns. Um, not as many young people and children are participating in sport and recreation within our town. Certainly before COVID, you know, we were supporting up to 150 children per year um, to participate in sport and recreation activities and then assisting more children on top of that to access uniforms, gear and so forth that's needed to, um, to engage in those sports. And are you, do you think this is something that more communities are going to have to think about? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a great way to bring volunteers together and a community to get together and just to showcase what is on offer for young people. Because we know that if children are engaged in a sport or an extracurricular activity, they're more likely to stay engaged in their education. And just having that community mentor somebody who believes in them outside of the family unit that is supportive for them is just such a boost to their well-being. That's right. And especially, you know, if you're not having a great time at school and you're playing with kids outside of school or maybe you're not doing that well at school and then sport is your release, there's just so much that goes along with it. Sally Matheson, you do incredible work, you and your team at Tomorrow Today. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the opportunity. That's the Education Benella Program Manager. There's a few texts saying, well, you know, that's what parenting is. Maybe parents should stop putting themselves first and start thinking about their kids. Mark also says, Rishan was, well, what about how much a family's annual TV subscription service is or an evening at the movies or a few meals out or a top-end SUV? The cost of staying healthy, you don't have to train for the next Olympics with an elite group to be active and enjoy sports. So does it come down to priority? Some of the people we're talking about here, though, probably don't have a lot of those things that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and they're being excluded from sport. And we're talking about those people, too. But it is hard if you look around your own community and you're like, oh, everyone here can afford it. Um, but there are communities where that's not possible. And, and we're talking about those people, too. Jim's called through from Mildura. Morning, Jim. Yeah. Hello. Uh, I'm an ex-school principal and mine was in rural and remote and Indigenous schools. And uh, team sport for us involved, uh, depending on the size of school, in the one teacher and two teacher schools, we used to travel regularly every uh, Friday to play other schools, uh, sometimes quite large distances. We used, in the bigger schools, we had houses playing houses and regularly on a Friday afternoon, we'd be off to play the neighbouring town school in places like Tamworth or, you know, where other places I've been. And that gave children the introduction to sport. It gave them status with team sports. It gave them recognition and enthusiasm to play and learn all the skills of team sports and how to lose, how to win. But now we have, uh, I've got two uh, daughters who are both school teachers, and it's come down to uh, you have a knockout competition once a season against other schools. You might have um, a... um, be requested because you're good at weekend sport to join a school team to go and play against another school or in a inter-regional competition but that regular uh, multi-gender or both genders you know playing and all abilities playing has Mm. gone and are we prioritizing sport less now jim in education than say academics is that a loss oh it's a huge loss um you know, but just look at what happened, say, for athletics carnivals in schools. The absentee rate is huge, especially in secondary schools, in public schools. I Whereas- was reading, though, Jim, and I don't know how much of this is correct, that with the voluntary payments that parents have for state schools, that many parents now can't afford that voluntary payment. So certain areas of the schooling curriculum is falling by the wayside. It might be woodwork, but it might also be sports carnivals or inter-school sports. I wonder how much of that is having an influence that doesn't still come back to cost of living and what parents can afford. There's a small factor of it. Uh, for instance, uh, with when we used to have to bus to other schools within a town or use parents in a voluntary capacity, that was a cost. But uh, schools actually, uh, public schools, and we're talking about public schools here, 
in all states have an obligation to meet the needs of children uh, irrespective of their financial circumstances. And a school can't say to a child, you can't play or you can't go on this if you can't pay. The school has to make some kind of provision. Um, and uh, we don't. it's not a case in public schools of discriminating because of lack of finances. It's a case of the school rejigging finances and looking what priorities mm. are. Uh, and when you think of how it goes and helps children to become resilient, you know, yeah, you learn I to know, lose, it's you so learn important. to win. But I was, honestly, I was reading there's multiple schools at the moment that they want to do all of that, Jim, but because the funding just isn't there, that sometimes something has to give and it breaks your heart to think that that's going to be sport because we know as all of the things you've just outlined, they're vital was. Oh, and just even what Jim was saying, just about learning how to win and how to lose, that's, mm. a, that's a vital part of, as well as being active and as well as all those things that it's doing for you. Uh, let's bring in uh, Helping Hoops. Uh, Tay Wheeler-Reed is the general manager there, participation-based program to help forge relationships in communities. Uh, can join us now. Tay Wheeler, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really enjoying this conversation. So topical and relevant. What you do is about being uh, getting more participation really not to to train to compete what what do you mean by that well you know the sporting landscape is incredibly diverse and helping hoops or i guess the programs that we run are based on what we call well what the sector at large calls the an informal sport model so what that means is that i guess it's better to share this through a story so we've heard this phrase time and time again around how it's more than sport. I think everyone can relate to that, especially at the moment with the World Cup, we're hearing athletes talk about how this is more than sport. And what more than sport means are all these social outcomes, like all these benefits, a sense of belonging, um, creating different values that we know young people can hold for the rest of their lives. And so at Helping Hoops, we sort of design programs that incorporate you know, all the things to do with competition, but they're predominantly based on how young people can feel included, how they can feel a sense of belonging and keep coming to participate. And what that means, I mean, Helping Hoops has been doing this for 13 years. We've really carved out a place in this informal sporting landscape inspired by communities that are really just sharing what they think they need because mm -hmm. their young people cannot access um, in a formal way, so largely what we've been talking about here through associations and clubs. So what we do is just we remove the barriers. So those barriers are, yes, cost, huge cost, so the programs are free. Um, one of the barriers is access. You know, the logistics around getting a young person to training and then to the game is really challenging for a lot of marginalized um, families. So how and do so, you do that? I mean, do you physically go and pick them up? So it's a great question. Our programs are within basically walking distance to where large community groups are residents or they attend yep. school. So, you know, for example, one of our programs in the city of Melbourne is at Fitzroy. We do the program on an outdoor court within a public housing estate so that kids can come. They don't have a barrier. Um, we don't, they don't have a barrier there. Um, so so that's, that's one of the things, just proximity. Um, and I so love the idea too of rethinking what team sport looks like and why you go to participate. So how it's informal sport, so it's less about winning, it's more about getting all of those added benefits that we're talking about, why sport is so important. And when you think about something like basketball, Tawila, I mean, that's a lot of the foundations of basketball is just making sure that anyone can play whenever they want in an informal setting, but you can still set up your own kind of almost like mini comps in an informal way. I don't know, heaps of mates that Brian Nankervis has been playing informal footy with friends of his for years and years and years. I've got friends that play informal soccer together for years and years and years. They still meet at the same time every week and play against each other, but it's just done in a cost-free manner. Absolutely. Elite performance is not the only pathway. So we've spoken quite a bit in, 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 the, in the show around being able to, you know, create environments where young people can aspire and move on to, you know, elite performance. And that's really important for, 
for sport and for um, youth development, it's just not the only element. So young people who really want to and can't access can come and participate and receive all the things. And it's not just them, it's their family. There's this amazing halo effect to removing barriers and just having sport there to access. But what it also does is create this really strong sense of belonging so that if young people have aspirations, we can mentor and leverage our relationships with the formal sporting community so that there's a wraparound effect. And, you know, in turn, after being along for so many years, that um, just increases the depth of impact for young people. Mm. So now Helping Hoops has professional athletes that have, gone on to oh, wow. you know play in elite and they're coaching back into our programs and to me that's like the oh, essence of what we yeah. want to be built that success yeah. that's huge well done yeah it's not me it's every it's everyone on the ground i'm just trying to <laughs> put people together but yeah i think that informal sport requires um well i, I just i just always want to be able to influence and inspire that informal sport plays a huge role in, in, in developing really strong communities that don't always have to primarily intersect with our marginalized groups. They're bringing everyone together, like Fitzroy I spoke about. Fitzroy has so many different groups throughout the entire socioeconomic spectrum, and they're all participating in the programs, and that's really important because yeah. our neighbours are not always like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. Tay Willa, thank you very much for joining us and, and making that point today. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for the chance. Have a great day. Tay Wheeler-Reed there, General Manager of Helping Hoops, joining you on the Conversation Hour. And that that is the point, isn't it? Not yep. even just the success of getting someone to be elite and come back and help. It's the idea of bringing everyone in the community together. So you know people who are from different walks of life. You know, you know, like the the tradies in your community. You know, the, the this family does this. You know, those people down the road that you never really met because they live around the corner from your house. But now you know each other. You have this human connection from sport and that brings a different value to the community doesn't it informal sport and rethinking what team sport looks like that it's less about competition and more about participation absolutely love it warwick long as always mate thank you great to hang out again and it's great to talk about really where where we got to with this i think we we talked about through a lot of the issues but also got some answers today on Monday, we're looking at midwives. There is a huge shortage, like so many other industries, but we just don't have enough midwives. And if you live in regional or rural Victoria, then it's even more difficult to birth a child at the moment. Take care, and I'll speak soon.